Good morning, everybody. It's great to be joining you. And as Dale said, we're going to be carrying on our story of Abraham, the true story of this man uh, whose life is recorded in the Bible that teaches us about what it looks like to walk by faith. Uh, in a moment, we're going to be reading from Genesis 21. But let me just recap the story. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time or you're not familiar with what's happened previously, uh, Abraham was a man who was called by God. We see that way back in Genesis 12. And he was given promises by God, promises that centered around a place and also a people. And God was going to bless Abraham greatly and through Abraham to bless the whole world. But these promises coming true depended on Abraham having a child, uh, the child that he'd been promised. And uh, Abraham is now a hundred as we meet him in Genesis 20 and 21. And it's been about 25 years now since he first had the promises from God, uh, but they're about to be fulfilled. The child of promise is about to be born. But before we get there, before we get to Genesis 21 and the birth of the child of promise, there's another twist in the tale in Genesis 20. Uh, just to show us uh, that we're, we're really clear that these promises to Abraham are given to him by God by grace as a gift and not because Abraham deserves them, we see again another example of Abraham's failings. Now, none of us like to show our failings to others, do we? Uh, none of us like to uh, open the door on that part of our lives and to let people see uh, how we have failed, to let people see our sin. I'll happily open the door on my achievements, I'll happily open the door on my moral behaviour. But I don't want people to see my failures. Well, Abraham didn't get a choice in that matter uh, because we get to see his failures and his sin, not just on one occasion, but many times in Genesis. And in Genesis 20, Abraham is failing in the same thing that he failed to do earlier in his life. Uh, he is failing in the same arena of uh, failing to trust in God's promises and failing to trust in God's protection. Uh, so what we find that Abraham does is, is when he arrives in a new place in, in the land of the Philistines in Genesis 20, uh, he tells his wife Sarah to pretend that she's his sister so that he won't uh, be hurt or, or even killed because of her. He's afraid. He's afraid that they'll take him and kill him because they want Sarah. And he puts the promise in jeopardy by placing Sarah in danger. Sarah, who may even at this time be pregnant with the promised child. And he does that out of selfishness, but also fear. Fear can cause us to do things that we know that we shouldn't do. And fear can cause us to forget the promises of God and, and try to protect ourselves. That's what Abraham does in Genesis 20. But 
here we see God's grace at work again. Even though Abraham's messed up and he's been found out for his sin, God still blesses him. God is still staying good to his promises to Abraham. And he's still going to keep that promise of a child. Human failure cannot thwart God's promises. That's what we see in Genesis 20. And now let's read about the fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 21. And the words will appear on the screen. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share an inheritance with my son, Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is God's word. Now, the first and the most important point that we need to see from this passage is the Lord graciously fulfills his promises. We see that in the first five 
verses. We can trust what God says. God's promises never fail. And that's made really clear in the text for us. We're told that the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah brought Abraham a son at the very time God had promised him. No word from God will ever fail. We might have to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled, like Abraham and Sarah had to wait. But the day will come when all of God's promises will be completed. They will be fulfilled. So we can trust him. We can have faith in God's promises. And when we read about Sarah in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, uh, we're told there that it was by faith that she, who who was past the age of, of childbearing, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, God faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, her husband, Abraham, and he as good as dead, being 100 years old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This promised child came about through faith, through faith in God's promises. Now, there are over 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. And if you were to count them one by one, it would take you over 3,000 years. And there isn't just one galaxy in our universe. We we know that there are, are billions, potentially, of galaxies in our universe. And yet we are told there in that passage in Hebrews that Abraham's descendants were as many as the stars of the sky. And these billions of descendants came from a man who was as good as dead and from a woman who is past the age of childbearing. These are the promises that Abraham and Sarah trusted in. Impossible promises, and yet they came true. And the promise ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, because all of God's promises are yes in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And if you are trusting in Jesus today, then you know that God's promises come true because you are part of that fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. You are one of the billions of people born into Abraham's family by faith because Abraham's family is the family of faith. And it's a really big family. The Bible tells us that the number of people who will be saved by Jesus and brought into the family of faith will be so many that we can't count them. A vast multitude. And it's in heaven with Jesus and with this vast multitude that we will experience the final fulfillment of all God's promises, all God's promises fully coming true and until that time we we look forward and we wait in faith 
for those promises to be fulfilled. And as God fulfills his promises, he also brings joy to the desolate. We see this in verses six to seven. Dale read for us at the start of the service from Isaiah 54. We read there, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who are never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman, the barren woman, than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And this describes the experience of Sarah. The Lord reverses her situation. She was barren, but now we find that she's able to have a child. She was desolate. But now she is filled with joy and laughter. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And Isaac's name means laughter. He brought laughter into Sarah's life after years of sadness. And that feeling of desolation because she didn't have a child. And that's what happens when God's promises are fulfilled. People find that their lives are transformed. Those who previously had no hope, no joy, no future, find that they they now have a future. They now have hope. And they're filled with joy. And you can experience this joy today in Jesus, in the one in whom God's promises are fulfilled. You see, the gospel provides us with the ultimate transformation and the ultimate reversal. Not just from sadness to joy, but from death to life. But even though this transformation may have already happened in your life, we will still experience times of sadness. And this virus is causing much sadness at the moment, isn't it? Sickness causes sadness. Chronic pain. Broken relationships. Financial hardship. Bereavement. All of these things come into our lives. And even if we're believers in God's promises, they still bring us sadness. But in our sorrow, we wait upon the Lord and we trust that he will bring us joy. We might have to wait for it. We might have to wait a long time, like Abraham and Sarah had to wait a long time for this joy to come into their lives. But it will come. Just as we know that even after the darkest night, that the dawn will rise and light will shine again. Joy will come for those who trust in the Lord. Weeping will last for the evening, but joy will come in the morning. We can say to ourselves, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. That's from Job chapter 8, verse 21. In fact, as Christians, we can have the experience of joy, even in the midst of sorrow. We can say that we are sorrowful, 
yet always rejoicing. But this joy is not experienced by all people. This joy of the Lord, this joy of, of knowing the fulfillment of God's promises, it is not for everyone because the Lord decides who are true children. And we now found out uh, that past tensions between Sarah and Hagar rise up again. That they've had a difficult relationship ever since Hagar bore Abraham a son, uh, Ishmael. And now things come to a head. Uh, when Sarah sees the teenage Ishmael mocking little Isaac on, on the, the day of the, the celebration of, of Isaac's weaning. And that's the final straw for Sarah. The slave woman and her son will never share in the inheritance with Isaac. So they've got to go. Now, this might sound harsh that uh, Ishmael and Hagar are sent out from the family home and, and they're sent away. But actually, the Lord uh, affirms what Sarah says and the Lord tells Abraham go along with what Sarah is saying for you to do because there can only be one child of promise there can only be one line of blessing the Lord says very clearly Isaac is the promised child not Ishmael Isaac is the offspring that I promised you all these years. It is through Isaac that all the blessings will come to you and will come to the world. You can't get these blessings if you're not in Isaac's line. Now, when we get to the New Testament and particularly Galatians chapter three, we find that these promises were ultimately given to Christ. That Jesus is the ultimate child of promise. He is the offspring. So Isaac is meant to point us forward to Jesus. You can't enjoy the blessings of God if you're not in Christ. But if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring. You are heir of the promises given to Abraham. You're part of his family of faith. But you know, there will always be people who think that God's blessings can be earned. There are people who think that God's promises can somehow be unlocked if we do things in the right way. My computer playing games are behind me now. I don't have time for, for that anymore. But I know that there are computer games where you do certain moves or, or you achieve certain things and you can unlock uh, new levels or certain prizes or you might be more used to the idea of a loyalty scheme uh, perhaps in certain shops where you spend so much money and it unlocks certain benefits or perhaps some people might think of it as a kind of retirement fund for eternity so if I work hard enough in this life I can build up uh, enough in my eternal retirement fund to enjoy blessings in heaven. I can put my feet up, I can enjoy my retirement in heaven, but I won't get the blessings 
if I don't work in this life? And that's how many people think about Christianity. They think it's all about what I do to gain God's blessings, whether that's blessings now or in the future. It's what I need to do to unlock the promises of God. Well, I hope it's been made really clear so far this morning that God's promises are given to us as a gift. It's part of his grace towards us, that they are not earned. If it depended on us in any way, then we would get nothing from God. We've already seen that Abraham has messed up again. All that we deserve as human beings from God is condemnation. And yet in his grace, he gives us his blessings. He gives us his promises. And so many people, though, choose to live not by grace, but by the works of the law, by what they can do themselves. And there is something attractive about that way of life, because there is something that, that you can show for your achievement. You, you can say, well, look, I, I did this. I achieved that. It, it can make you look good. It can make you feel good because you feel like you're, you're doing something to earn God's favour. You're, you're contributing to what you receive from him. But what that also does is it enslaves us. It makes us slaves. If what you get from God depends on what you do for God, then you're only as good as your last good deed. You're a slave to your own performance, to your own standards. You can never rest. You can never you know, take a step back and, and think, well, I, I don't need to keep working anymore. No, you, you've always got to, to keep going. You've always got to, to be doing more to earn things from God. You can't fail. That's not an option. Because what you get from God depends on what you do for God. So you become a slave to your own standard of righteousness. And all of us have different standards, so it doesn't really work anyway because it's subjective. But there is one universal standard of righteousness that all of us have to adhere to, but none of us can keep. And that is God's standard. It is God's law. In Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul likened Abraham's son Ishmael to that kind of person, to the kind of person who lives by the works of the law, by what they can do. They're born according to the flesh. They're born according to... Uh, human works and they're slaves of the law they rely on their own works to save them to make them right with god but there's a different kind of people who live a different kind of way and paul likens these people to isaac to the child of promise he says these people are born not of um, anything to do with human beings that they, they are born as a miracle they're born as a result of God's promise they rely on Christ's finished work 
not on their own work. And so they are set free. They're not slaves anymore. They're not trusting in their own performance, but in Jesus' performance. And that is liberating. It lifts the pressure from us. It, it removes fear. And it infuses our hearts with joy. If we belong to Jesus, then we are true children of Abraham. And we are free. But this is something that God decides and not us. He says, who gets to be one of his children? It's not about what we think we should do. It's about what he says we should do. So if we scoff at Jesus, like Ishmael mocked Isaac. If we say to Jesus, well, I, I don't need you. I don't need what you've done for me. I, I, I can do it myself, thank you. Then we cannot claim to be God's children. We're still slaves. And like Hagar and Ishmael, we're cast out. We are excluded from God's promises and from the inheritance of the true children of God. But, you know, there is hope for those in that situation because finally, the Lord, this, the Lord shows compassion to the distressed. Although Hagar and Ishmael are cast out, they are not rejected by God. Because Ishmael cries out in his distress as he's about to die for lack of water. God hears him. God hears the cry of, of Ishmael and Hagar. In fact, that's what Ishmael's name means. It means God hears he hears the cry of the distressed who call out to him and the lord shows compassion he makes a promise to ishmael he promises that ishmael will be a great nation because ishmael is still a, a son of abraham he makes provision for ishmael and hagar a well suddenly appears in verse 19 and god's presence remains with Ishmael as he grows up. Verse 20. Sometimes the Lord brings us to a place where we can't rely on ourselves anymore. And we have to cry out to him. We have no other option but to cry out to him. We get to a point where we realise that our own resources are so meagre and our strength is weak. And we give up trying to achieve anything for ourselves because we know that we can't do it. Now, it's at that point that we can either sink into despair or we can cry out to God and we can put our hope in God's compassion. Uh, I recently read uh, the results of a survey uh, about how people were getting on during the lockdown, how people were coping with the lockdown. And the survey found that 39% found that they were feeling distressed and, and isolated and upset because of the lockdown. Now, that may well include uh, one of you this morning. That might include somebody watching this video. That you might be feeling isolated, you might be feeling upset, you might 
feel you've been brought to the end of your tether because of what we've been going through. Let me encourage you in your distress to cry out to the Lord. And don't do what, what Hagar did and, and allow despair to overwhelm you and to think that there's no hope. In the John Bunyan's famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the main character, Christian, and his companion, Hopeful, are imprisoned by the cruel giant despair in a place called Doubting Castle. And they're, they're locked up in a dungeon. Uh, they've been treated awfully. And there seems to be no way of escape. And they, they sink into despair, even to the point of, of considering taking their own lives, that they are full of despair and distress. But they manage to escape. And the way that they escape is that Christian realises that he has a key. He has a, a key in, in his bosom, and the key is called promise. And Christian tries that key on the lock of their cell and the lock opens and they try that key then on the door of the dungeon and again it, it opens and they're able to escape the castle doubting castle and they're able to escape from giant despair and to get back on that road towards the celestial city that's how you escape from despair and distress when it threatens to to drag you down and overwhelm you you take the key of God's promise and you use that key to make your way out of despair you go back to God's promises you remind yourself of his promises and as you remind yourself you remember that that you can trust the Lord to make good on his promises. And you can wait on him in faith. And you can remember that he will bring joy to those who are desolate. And he will have compassion on those who are distressed. I'm going to close uh, with the words from Isaiah 54 that we read at the start of the service. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness. I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer.